We're continuing our series today on what it means to be real, and we're doing this by walking through the woes of Jesus to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, and if you remember, when we began to talk about the decorations, one of the hopes that we have is that as we walk through these texts and as we are challenged and encouraged by Jesus teaching these religious leaders, that we we take veils away, that we uncover who we really are and who we are really called to be. And this morning, we're going to talk about passions and how our passions get uh, inflamed through controversies that happen in the world and in the, the, the world that we live in, the world around us, and how oftentimes we get we can get pretty fired up. Um, that's actually a use that I, uh, or a phrase that I use a lot, getting fired up, because uh, as many of you know, there are things that can get me fired up, and when I get fired up, I mean, it's a it's a passionate response to something that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about or talking about with somebody. And those are things, those, uh, those passions and those controversies, which can be a huge blessing. We need to have that sort of passion. We need to engage in, in dialogue about challenging things. But how we do that and how the Pharisees did that in the text is what Jesus is speaking about. And so for us to live faithful lives with the passions that God has given us into the challenges that we experience in the world is really the focus of our teaching this morning. And as we spend time in God's word, let's pray for his presence in this place. Father, move through our passions through our thinking, through our desire, Lord, to do right. We ask, Father, that you show up in this text from Matthew 23 this morning to remind us what it means when we get distracted from following you. And again, remind us what it means when we wholeheartedly give ourselves to you, even those things which get us fired up. Get us excited. Get us um, wanting to enter into the fray of a dialogue or a discussion. Wanting us to share it. Wanting for us wanting to share our opinion. I pray, Father, that you allow me to just simply disappear. That you show up. That you speak to us. That, Lord, we can be transformed by the power of your spirit and through the work of your word. This is work that you alone can do. Because of the work of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we pray you do it today. In Jesus' name, amen. I have one ground rule to begin my sermon. You are not allowed to step or stand up and leave the room during the next five minutes. I really think that the church needs to do a whole lot more to welcome homosexuals into the congregation. In fact, I think how many of us talk about homosexuality in the church is wrong. God makes people. And if God makes a person to have a desire for a person of the same gender, who are we to argue that? 
Who are we to get judgmental about it? And over the years, I've heard people talk about what Scripture says about homosexuality. And the truth is that most of the texts about homosexuality are in the Old Testament. There's very few in the New. And there's only nine that talk about homosexuality in the whole text. And the ones in the Old Testament are in the law. Well, the law changed. We see that in the New Testament, right? It says that homosexuality is an abomination in Deuteronomy. But it also says that you shouldn't eat shrimp. And that's changed. It says that if you are a woman having your period, you should go outside of town. That's changed. So too how God views a person who is gay. Isn't Jesus love? Didn't he always say that he was love? And when we are judgmental towards the gay community, aren't we just not showing love? I think the church needs to do a whole lot more to protect itself against the cultural movement of homosexuality. I think that the church has lost sight of what God says about the abomination of being gay. I think that many people have forgotten that God hated that behavior. And even in the New Testament, even in our, the church's understanding of who God is, yes, Christ is grace, Christ is forgiveness, but doesn't it say in the Apostles' Creed, the ecumenical creed most accepted by the most churches, it says there that Christ shall come to do what? Judge And if Christ is coming to judge, it means that behavior matters. When we hear in Romans 1 that Christ, or that Paul talks about how the people of Rome who were in idolatry ended up in their foolishness having desire for the same gender, homosexuality is something that is a judgment of God. And we too as Christians need to uphold God's judgment. Drop a pin. And we can hear it. One of the most controversial dialogues of our day. Within the church, within Christendom, how do we think about this particular issue? Now, because I'm not insane, I'm not going to have that discussion this morning as a dialogue together. And I hope that even by bringing that up with you this morning, that you are not distracted from what I believe God has to say to us in this text from Matthew 23. Because what Jesus is speaking against in Matthew 23, in this text this morning, is about 
controversy and how we engage as followers of Jesus in controversy with our passions because these are all sorts. I guarantee you during some of my statements that some of your blood pressures went up a little bit. As we engage our passion for these controversies and how we see them, how do we do that well? How do we do that in a way which brings us closer to Christ and becomes a testimony to Christ of how we think about some of these challenging things? Matthew 23 verse 16 says this. Woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater? The gold or the, gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, if anyone who swears anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it, and anyone who swears by heaven and swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How many of you have any idea what this text is talking about? Wondering, right? What in the world is this supposed to be about? Welcome to controversy. Remember how I said at the beginning of this series, the Pharisees didn't want to mess up the commandments of the Old Testament because they had been judged by God for not doing what it is that God said. And one of the commandments is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Correct? It's one of the important ones right near the beginning of the Ten Commandments. We have this commandment, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Well, what do you have with oaths? You have people who will say, by God's power, I will do this. Or, I, I promise God's truth that I will do this. Making oaths, invoking the name of God into them. And the Pharisees were saying, hold on here. That's God's name. And we know the commandment. And the commandment says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And if you're just throwing around oaths, If I say something, I swear by God's name that I will go and have McDonald's after this service and take it home and eat it. What a silly thing. What a trite thing to make some sort of oath about. That doesn't honor God's name. That doesn't hold his, the creator of the universe's name in high regard. It's, it's foolish. And so you begin to have all these formulas for how you could make an oath without using the name of God so that you had oaths about the altar, 
Well, that's not God's name, right? But where does God dwell? He dwells in the Holy of Holies, where the altar is. We can swear by something at the temple. Well, that's God's presence. So it still has power because God's there. But it's not saying his name. So we got it right. And you can imagine. There's all these discussions. Oh, this is what we can say. And this is what we can't say. And you need to be careful. Don't say that. You can say that. All this sort of stuff. And as you, if you've ever seen which I have, I've been to Israel and even at uh, uh, the Wailing Wall and places around the Temple Mount. If you've ever seen Orthodox Jews have discussions about things that they disagree about, you can well imagine that it's pretty passionate. People get fired up. And people were getting fired up about this. They were getting fired up so much that they were spending lots of time thinking about it, writing about it, discussing it, probably thinking about it at night while they slept. It's the sort of thing that began to get consuming. Their passions over the controversy was consuming them. Now, a quick word about blindness. If you look, and I hope you have your Bibles open, if you look at the seven woes in Matthew 23, they all have a formula to begin them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, except for this one. This one instead begins with, woe to you, blind guides. Later on, you blind fools. Later on, you blind men. So blind, the word, is a key word in the text. And why would Jesus bring that? Well, blindness in Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees is a key thing. It's a theme over and over again. The Pharisees disputed two of Jesus' miracles. Which miracles were they? The healing of the blind men. And when Jesus speaks, he talks about what? Giving sight to the blind. And what is that sight? Giving them knowledge. Giving them understanding. Giving them help in growing and moving forward in how they understand God. When Jesus says to the Pharisees, you blind guides. That's a doubly powerful judgment upon them. You just don't get it. You're being consumed by a controversy over oaths with all this time and energy. And meanwhile, over here, the hungry aren't fed and the naked aren't clothed. And this person over here needs to be loved and cared for. And you have an appointment to go talk about the next formula for what an oath can be. In seeking to obey one commandment, the Pharisees were breaking another. Instead of them, they focused on, do not take the Lord's name in vain. But they missed out on, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Do what it is that he calls you to do. Be consumed by him first. And not the controversies that surround him. His words against them reflect Jesus' anger against this sort of behavior. He wants his followers to give everything 
to him. And that includes passions and how they live into the passions that they have around controversies. And we can certainly fall into this trap too. We get excited about something. And in our excitement, we lose sight of how God calls us into a deeper relationship with him. If you remember, not long ago, it was less than a year, when the Supreme Court gave its judgment about homosexual unions. How, if you are a Facebook member, Facebook blow up over that. I mean, literally, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of posts about this decision. It was consuming. It became everything that some people talked about. How this was either the greatest thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. And people got fired and upset, fired up and upset, depending on which news network you watch. Fox News gave a particular viewpoint. CNN gave another viewpoint. And everyone's get fired up. The time, the energy, the effort that we focus. Meanwhile, there's the hungry not being fed. And the naked not being clothed. And love to one who needs it not being given. It's wonderful that God gives us particular passions. I'm really glad that Pastor Bill is here with his passion for Beautiful Gate. I'm really glad that we have people here who are passionate about the Mexican Christian um, children's aid. I'm really glad that we have, last week, we have Alicia who's passionate about ministering to college kids. I'm really glad that we have people who are passionate about any number of different things. But we are on dangerous ground if we think that our passions reflect complete godliness. That's simply not true. What I mean by that is this. If you think that your passion about believing something particular about homosexuality and faith is the standard by which someone is in or someone is out or someone is acceptable or not acceptable, then we have a problem. If someone doesn't share the same passion as you about Mexican Christian children's aid, that they are not as good a Christian or they're not doing what God is calling them to do. If your particular passion is not a passion of another or there may be people who actually disagree with your passion. Let me give you an example. His name is John. John is a guy that I once knew who is very passionate about social justice. John is the sort of guy that if there was, if, if he knew that there were homeless on the street that were gathered in an area, he was trying to find stuff to bring to be a part of blessing them, bringing food, bringing clothing bringing sleeping bags or tents. He was always searching for ways that he could be involved in issues of poverty, in issues of people who were illegal aliens, and how to seek justice for people in that particular um, situation. 
He was constantly wondering about how to help the disenfranchised. He was passionate about the homosexual community because they certainly have felt as victims of injustice on some levels. And it was wonderful often to see John work because in his interacting with people around these passions, he would bring much love. He would bring hope. He would bring friendship. He would bring encouragement. That was wonderful. But I also remember a time when John and I had a discussion. And John talked about a particular community that I was uncomfortable with bringing high school kids to be engaged with. And John became different when I voiced my hesitation. He became harsh. His words became actually downright mean. He said things that eventually he did apologize for months later. But at the time, it was hurtful to me. And it was hurtful to some people around me who were having this discussion with John. And what I saw there was John's passion for social justice overruling his obedience to Christ, to love others as Christ has loved you. For him to be a person of grace, and as scripture says, and as much as you are able, be at peace with one another. He created conflict just by how he spoke with us. The challenge of dealing with John became insurmountable, and eventually we were no longer engaged directly with his ministry. We were indirectly. But... That's what happens when our passion for these issues, passion for the controversy, passion for whatever it is that is in front of us, blinds us to what it means to truly be a follower of Christ in everything that we do, in everything that we live, in everything that we believe and in how we act. John forgot that. And I think Christ wants to remind us of that here in this text. In fact, it's really interesting how he addresses this in this text, but also elsewhere in Matthew 5. Jesus actually here is giving a little bit of bone to the, contra- or to the Pharisees. He's in essence saying to them, well, if you're going to talk about this, if you're going to get so fired up, if you're going to spend all this time and energy on it, then I'm going to discuss it with you. Then I'm going to give you a moment of my time to help you better understand this and how foolish it is that you sound. If you read that that. Uh, Matthew 23, 16 through 22 text, it's obvious that Jesus is seeking to make the Pharisees look foolish and see their own foolishness. But that's not his last word. He's showing the Pharisees the foolishness they've allowed themselves to be led into. To be free of that, they need to examine their hearts. And where does he do that? Turn over quickly to Matthew 5. If you have it, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Here's what Jesus says, and if you remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount, 
arguably one of the greatest blocks of Jesus' teaching that we have, where he shared in Galilee a whole lot of stuff that he wanted people to understand very, very deeply. This is all like, you know, prime stuff. When Jesus says it in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, this is the sort of thing he really wants people to hear this. He says there, again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, don't do it at all. Either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, For you cannot even make one hair white or black or purple. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus is presenting to his followers time management. He's saying, don't even get into the formulas. Don't even worry about it. Be a truth speaker. Be someone who when you say something, people can believe it. Why? Because that's everything that you do. You say you're going to be somewhere at a certain time, then you're there at a certain time. You have to, don't have to say by heaven or the temple or Jerusalem or anything. Just be who God made you to be. Be wholeheartedly, your whole heart, obedient to God. Jesus wants us to examine our hearts. He wanted the Pharisees to look in their hearts. Don't make this about the stuff that can consume you. Make it about me consuming you so that people don't ever wonder whether or not what you're speaking is truth. Whatever you're thinking is truth. Whatever you're doing is true. Whatever it is that you are doing is godly. Because your heart is mine. And you're not getting caught up. Your passion, instead of being a passion to get the commandment right, make the oath right, your passion is simply to follow me. Be passionate more so about following me than you are about anything else. For us to hear that should challenge us, push us to think about how we verbalize, how we engage in some of these sorts of things. How we think about all this stuff. Jesus is simplifying their ability and our ability to love him. He's saying, do what you do with a heart for me. Everything that you do. If you're involved in a controversy, if you're involved in something that brings your passions up, that fires you up like it does me, Do all of that, everything in there, with a desire to love God more, to love Christ more, to follow the Spirit more, and allow that to guide you more than your passions, more than those sorts of things. We can hear that heart message ourselves. Our hearts can shape our passions in beautiful ways. What I mean is this, when God has all of our heart, when our heart doesn't have a place where, okay, this part is God's and then there's this part is about me being right. This part is about me making sure that other people know what I think. 
When our whole heart is God's, then all of that leads our passion. So it's not about us being right. It's about us together with those that we're in this dialogue or experience with being more in love with Jesus. About me showing Jesus. About me being Jesus in all of those things. It's one of the reasons why you will very rarely, I think I've done it three times in the last eight years that I've been on Facebook, ever post a political statement. I won't do it. Because I don't think that's a wise way for us to engage in the dialogue. I don't post links to articles. I don't post any sorts of comments as much as I would have plenty to say about some of our candidates. I don't. Why? Because then there, I can't control how I am Christ's presence in that. We all know. You open up Facebook, depending on the mood you're in, how you read that article or read that comment, right? All of a sudden, your best friend becomes your worst enemy because you're in the wrong mood. Or they said it the wrong way. Be very wise. Be Christ in all of it. Be discerning. The Holy Spirit gives us passions to serve Christ and his kingdom. We do that well when we bring the love of Christ into challenging things, showing love to all involved. Even those who see things differently than us. I think it's one of the reasons why the dialogue about homosexuality is so inflamed. I think it's one of the reasons why that is like a wildfire out of control in some contexts. For the simple reason that so many who get involved in it spew hatred instead of spewing love. That's ah, a wrong word, spewing. Sharing love. Instead of being Christ... They choose to be right. Instead of being caring, they want to be wounding. When I was in seminary, um, well, let me give you a little background. This church is part of the Christian Reformed Church in North America. Okay? Um, That's a denomination that's been around for over 150 years. And there has been no more controversial discussion in our church over the last 70 years than what? Anyone? Anyone? You're even scared to say it, aren't you? Women in office, right? Whether or not in our denomination, females can be pastors, elders, and deacons. Okay, just so you know and are clarified on the denomination's position, the denomination's position is that churches can make the decision on how they're going to handle that because there's biblical support for either view. No women in office or women in office. Okay, are we clear? You got that? So churches help give us the freedom to decide. This church is presently in a place where we have said... That women are welcome into the diaconate and we uh, at this point have not opened the door to elders and pastors. We have not done that. 
Okay, that's where we are. And if you want to have that dialogue, again, I'm not going to have that here. That's a, that's a discussion for another place. I just want to be clear, that's where we stand. So there's place in the church for different views. So when I'm in seminary, I'm in seminary. I was in a class of about 70 other students. I was in a seminary of about 300 other people. You can imagine there's different viewpoints and perspectives there, right? Especially because you have female students at the seminary. There's female students who are training to be pastors and there are students there who are training to be pastors as well <coughs> who believe that scripture says that those women should not be training to be pastors. And you've got to throw everyone into a classroom. And we've got to figure out how to get along. Let me tell you, it was actually uh, much easier than you think. And I'm going to tell you about three people. Chris, Josh, Josh, and Chelsea. Chris and Josh are two, they're Canadians, so they're freaks of nature. But uh, two Canadian guys that I was good friends with. And these two Canadian guys came from very conservative churches. They came to seminary and they said, we do not believe that women should be pastors. These are incredibly great godly men who believe that and believe it very strongly. And they know their scriptures well. They know their theology well. Chelsea is a student there who actually was from Visalia. Funny story, she was from the other Christian Reformed Church in Visalia where then I was serving. And that church was anti-women in office. And this is a female from that church going to seminary. Think about that irony. She goes to seminary and she is passionately, obviously, for women being pastors. She believes, knows her scriptures well, knows her theology well, and posits continually that God has called her to be a pastor. And she believes strongly that she will live that calling out. She's friends with Chelsea too. Wonderful godly woman. Now you would think that we would have to do this between Chelsea and Josh and Chris, right? You would think that we would need to have bodyguards between, because these guys passionately against. Chelsea, passionately for. And these are passionate people. Best friends. Hanging out all the time. Chris, Josh, Chelsea. What are we going to do today? Let's go out to lunch. Chris, Josh, Chelsea. Hey, I've got a barbecue at my house. Who should we invite? Chris, Josh, Chelsea. Joking about life. Going through difficulties. Praying fervently together. Raising their hands in worship together. Occasionally comments. Chris would say, hey, you shouldn't be here. And she would say, yeah, well, pretty soon there's going to be so many of us, you're not going to be here. That was about it. They had their discussion when the time came. But it was a discussion in love. And the beautiful part about it is that everyone around them saw it. I was marked by that. I have my feelings about this particular issue as I do about everyone. But I am wanting to live into this model. I want to live this way. 
I want to live this way because this shows Jesus. That's what Jesus was so upset with with the Pharisees. You stopped showing me. People can't see me. They can't hear me. Why? Because you're so passionate about this minuscule, ridiculous thing that I even said to you. Don't even worry about it. Say yes or no. You pick one and follow through. And if you do anything more than that, then people are missing who I am as a God of love. And a God of grace who brings people of differing perspectives, beliefs, passions, gifts, abilities together. Do this. Because when people see this, they see me. They see who I am. Folks, if you are in any sorts of those discussions, let everything that you do, that all your fired up passion, all those beliefs that are down deep, all those things that consume you, allow them to be marked wholeheartedly with Christ's love for everyone involved. Be Christ. Be Christ in those sorts of places and other people will see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the passions that you have equipped us with. You've given us opportunity, Lord, to do something extraordinary. And that is be Jesus in hard places. Places where it is sometimes a really hard place to see Jesus. The sorts of passions and dialogues that get our culture fired up. Father, may we mark those things with more of your love. May your love consume us more than being right. May your love consume us more than we want to do things that we want to do because they fit us or they excite us. Lord, we simply want to be you in the way that you've made us in the world around us. Father, you do that work. You do that work because we need it. You're the only one who can. Father, we pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.